You're listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life podcast. I'm Janine Strong, your host to S, and every two weeks I have a fresh conversation with inspiring, interesting, and knowledgeable people. If any of my listeners would like to record an intro for the podcast, please email me at realjanine at gmail.com and we'll set up a recording time. I'd love to have some of you do my intro. I think it'd be fun. My conversation today is with Dr. Michael Smith. Dr. Smith utilizes a combination of functional medicine and evolutionary nutrition with the wisdom and vast experience of traditional Chinese medicine to help his patients. Michael has been on the podcast before to talk about the uses of medical cannabis. Today, we are going to talk about autoimmunity, an important subject since more and more diagnoses or illnesses are considered to be autoimmune. Hi, Michael. How are you? Great, Janine. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, uh, other than the fact that a skunk got in the house last night and I had to do a lot of cleanup. <laughs> they really like my eggs. <laughs> I think that's what brought it in was that's where I store my eggs for my chickens. He, it, she uh, ate a lot of the eggs last night. So let's talk about autoimmunity. Maybe a good place to start is what is autoimmunity? Uh, Well, I think the technical definition would be uh, autoimmunity is a class of illnesses where there's a fundamental derangement in the function of the immune system. The derangement specifically changes the way the front line of your immune system basically reads the repair cycle, and we can get into the details of that. Uh, But once that repair cycle is deranged, instead of trying to repair membranes, your immune system produces more inflammation inside the tissue. Mm Mm-hmm causing more damage than repair, uh, more symptoms and and all of that. And, and that's not what I would call the average description because there's a lot of other things that aren't just because of inflammation and swelling, mm-hmm. but it gives people that mental image of my immune system has gone from kind of a happy village to a dangerous kind of inner city environment where oh, wow. you're, 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 you're kind of more likely to get shot by the good guys than to be, you know, helped across the street, you know, with your groceries. That's and, a and great. The, that's a great metaphor. <laughs> and, and, and the chemistry and, and the pathways and the the triggers and and how every hormone and every neurotransmitter in the body is, is implicit in some way. If it's out of balance, every nutrient, every vitamin, mineral uh, can be implicit. Every different emotional stress that we have. So you know, it's it's in in my experience uh, as a patient with autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also with my experience, you know, working with patients in that environment for over two decades, uh, if I was to give it any kind of nickname, I would just call it the dashboard light of the 21st century. I mean, mm-hmm. we went from like one in 200 people to one in six people in the space of 25 years. Yes. Wow. You know, so so whatever it is that it's not working, it's definitely not working for the immune system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know that in this work that I've done with David Flowers, he said that 25 years ago when he would test people. Uh, he would find a lot of people whose immune systems were strong, and now he can't find hardly anyone. They all test weak. Yep. So you know, there's there's a lot of factors involved, and you know, we can't all run off into the mountains and and you know live our lives far away from the modern world. So, I think the thing that most of us really need to do is uh, find the humility and the patience to just adapt to the fact that. Uh, if you do carry the genetics for this, if you had certain illnesses as a child, uh, you know, obviously if your workplace is really stressful or your 
toxic materials and things like that. I mean, all of these pressures are happening to everybody. It's just some of us, are, they're happening a lot more intensely. And the more, again, humble and patient we can be about taking care of our immune systems in a new world, uh, the better it's going to go. Because the hardest part for people, Janina, is that we all feel entitled to normal and there's no such thing anymore. <laughs> that does seem to be the case. Well, so Michael, you just, you said something about childhood diseases and I mean, because some people, their immune systems do seem to be pretty strong. They're not acquiring chronic uh, conditions. Uh, what does set us up for, for this? I guess I'm not sure exactly what you mean set us up because there's the childhood patterns that we can observe in clinic and then there's what's going on on the inside of the body for everybody whenever it happens. Right. So I was thinking childhood patterns and also genetics. Okay. So clearly, if you're carrying the genes uh, for certain illnesses, you have a certain statistical likelihood of getting that illness. Mm -hmm. You also, and this is really important to say to people, you could be carrying around the genes for 10 different really complicated illnesses and live your entire life and not turn on any of them. So why is that? Well, this gets into epigenetics mm -hmm. and, and other things that are also a part of the immune system, but that's probably a pretty complicated thing and I think we should just finish the immune system thing before we dive into the genes okay. but so you know say you're carrying the genes in the sense that you may get arthritis or you may get psoriasis or you know alopecia or something mm -hmm. <clears throat> the fundamental thing that's going on is the immune system is actually getting too strong in one way and too weak in another way so this this is where the strategy of always trying to strengthen the immune system usually goes sideways half of the time. Okay. Because it's actually, you know, in an allergy situation, what's happening is your immune system is overreacting to something normal. So to say, oh, you've got allergies, you must have a weak immune system, here, take a tonic, is 50-50 going to make the person sicker. Okay. Right? So here's this complex, you know, situation, say, in children where part of things are limping and part of things are punching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And whatever's limping is going to build up more congestion, more toxins, more inflammation, more breakdown, uh, more wound healing. And then the part that's too strong, if it gets involved in the wound healing, can come in there and literally start punching. Now, there's a, a sequence that's chemically pretty well recognized, and it's not too complicated. So if you like, I could explain kind of what's going on more on the, the, under the microscope a little bit. That would be wonderful. So, uh, you know, as you alluded to, uh, earlier, there's there's sort of an adaptive um, distress within the immune system because it isn't sure if it should be more patient or more aggressive. Okay. So we, we should be aware that, you know, the mood of the immune system is fundamental, but there's something that's going on all day, every day within your body around tissue repair. Mm -hmm. And every one of your tissues, every one of your cells, every one of your membranes, your organs, your skin, mm -hmm. uh, your hair even, or your hair follicle, hair follicles, they're all constantly deciding if they're going to keep doing their job for another week or two or, <clears throat> excuse me, if they're going to signal the rest of the body that they're kind of tired now and they should be replaced, you know, on the front lines. Mm -hmm. And what happens is those cells secrete something called an autoantibody, auto like autoimmunity, auto means self. Okay. So the cell produces an antibody that's basically saying, I think I'm done. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now, the way I usually talk about this is, is, I don't know. I guess I used to be into cars, so I think about cars easily. <laughs> I'm a guy. What am I going to do? <laughs> That's true. Go ahead. <laughs> so your body, if it was kind of like a vehicle, it would be full of parts, and all of those parts would have a serial number. So an autoantibody is basically the part of your body throwing up a seri serial number into the bloodstream saying, we need to replace this part. 
Okay. So your immune system goes after anything with that serial number and says, okay, we got to clean this, you know, body up, get rid of all these specific cells so we can replace them with new ones. Now, if your immune system is doing a normal thing, <clears throat> you know, it gets that little email that says, hey, everybody with serial number XYZ is, you know, they're going to get retired today, so go to work. And your immune system does that and everything works fine. If your immune system is in a very deep kind of imbalance where it's confused and aggressive, when it gets that email that says everybody with this kind of serial number needs to get fired, your immune system might go in there and spend months aggressively attacking the entire uh, cellular system instead of just that one sick old cell producing more scar tissue, more damage. And because there's more scar tissue and damage, there's more rapid turnover of cellular tissue. So now the immune system is getting more emails every day with more part numbers saying, you're not doing your job properly because we keep having the same problem and it's getting worse. So what your immune system does is it upregulates to a higher degree of, of reactivity and distress, uh, making your symptoms worse. And if you're carrying the genes for, say, another autoimmune condition or something else, the stress of all of that can actually turn on a secondary gene, which is why a lot of patients, uh, in my experience, are usually referred to me after their third autoimmune diagnosis because they've tried mainstream medicine, they've tried something a bit alternative that's sort of got a, a bit of a, what you might call a quick, easy rep to it. Mm-hmm. So come to my weekend workshop and we can turn off your genes. And people are like, yay. And sometimes that happens. So that's that's great. Mm-hmm. But usually people who come to see me are kind of, you know, walking along with their tail between their legs going, yep, I have to go talk to Dr. Smith because he's that guy with this several month kind of investment into rebuilding your entire immune system. But that that's the average rate. Now, Janine, is people who come to see me that are referred to me from other doctors, it's because they have diagnosis number three. Which means effectively that their immune system is now chasing serial numbers all over the place and it's really hard to tell um, what's the original problem. And because and this is going to – we can get into this in more detail, but a lot of the food that we eat contains uh, proteins that have the same kind of serial numbers that your immune system recognizes to take out bad cells. Oh, so now there's another uh, strategy for upregulation where your immune system is now punching at your you know, wheat and dairy for easy examples, making the whole thing worse. And then people might end up with three or four or five autoimmune conditions because they keep eating the food that turns the whole thing up. So that, that, that's sort of the long and short of it is it's really about how many different uh, antibodies or autoantibodies or self-antibodies are flying around your body, how many food antibodies are flying around your body. Uh, at any given time, are going to determine how much of your calories you're going into fighting a war that's not meant to happen, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. producing all of your symptoms that, well, literally suck. Wow. And I would like to just note here that I think you are excellent at explaining this so that people can really understand it. Yeah, well, it's it's that's uh, the word doctor means teacher. So I think that's that's our main job is make sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you do a really great job of it. I, you, I'm actually quite impressed. Thank you. So what is adaptive immunity? So you're born with what's called innate immunity, which is effectively all of the strategies and memories that you were given from your parents. And that's going to include somewhat in your innate and somewhat in your adaptive immunity, the things you get from being born vaginally and being uh, breastfed as a baby. Mm -hmm. So all of those little bit of informational substances just prepare your immune system for what's going on around you. 
right? Because mm-hmm. your your parents and grandparents went through whatever numbers of the flu they went through, or mumps or measles and uh, those kind of things. So we're we're constantly evolving uh, generation to generation, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously in the modern world we're uh, evolving in a, a much more I don't know crowded direction, I guess. So the adaptive side of your immune system is the side that learns new things. Mm-hmm. So say you get a flu because you're going to daycare, <laughs> either as a teacher or as a kid or mm-hmm. <laughs> as the poor internet repairman or something like that, <laughs> and you're covered in boogers <laughs> either way. And it takes about three days, three and a half days for your adaptive immune system to kind of pry away at that particular virus to figure out uh, its DNA and where it fits into the, you know, the system. If it's more of a bacterial infl- in, in infestation than, than a virus, you know, the way the, the immune system behaves or adapts is different. But your adaptive immunity is the part of your immune system that's constantly learning and going through cellular systems like, say, the memory B cell system, which are like bounty hunters, mm-hmm. you know, guys with like a wanted poster and a gun. <laughs> So the more we keep teaching the bounty hunters who the bad guy is, then Mm. that's what your adaptive immunity's job is. Unfortunately, with the autoimmune thing, if we go back to the serial numbers, if you have bounty hunters running around your whole body with the serial numbers of car parts that are made of you Mm -hmm. uh, and that are intrinsic to your joints working or your brain working, which is terrifying – uh, that's where autoimmunity becomes terrifying is because the the bounty hunters are now running around everywhere, not only causing problems themselves, but leading what you might call the police force, the ambulance, the fire trucks and everybody else, you know, in your particular village to that site, you know, be it your brain or your elbow or your pancreas or your colon. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the tricky thing with autoimmunity is to try and baseline the adaptive system as much as you can. Now, and what again, does that mean? To avoid triggers, to avoid uh, chronic insults that keep turning up the number of things you're allergic to or your immune system is kind of pissed off about. Got it. Okay. So this is why we put people on rel- relatively restrictive programs, on stress reduction programs, on detox programs, because everything's connected to everything in in ways that, you know, every weekend where, you know, if you, you get a new email from the research people, which I always get the, the research stuff coming in, it's like every week or two, it's like, oh, we understand this in a completely new way, or there's a completely new player on the scene of the whole thing that, that's that's changing our understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying that as an excuse. I'm saying that you know that we're all adapting um, intellectually. We're all adapting in terms of research as well, just to what the adaptive immune system does. But it's the biggest danger of, of ignoring it is that it's going to proliferate the the more martial law or difficult neighborhood you know version of your body because mm-hmm. it doesn't it's instinctually driven to protect you and if it keeps getting the message you know bad guys go get them that's what it's going to do and because it's adaptive it's going to keep looking for more bad guys the more bad guys there are right right, right. In, the, in, in, in the middle of a, a gang fight you don't go and look for a hammock Okay. <laughs> so, so the adaptive immunity is the guy with the knife at the front lines saying, come and get me. I'm going to protect my peeps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I would think then that because of the plethora of toxins that we have to deal with now um, in our environment and our food and our water and everything, that that is exacerbating this. Uh, I would say if you were to, 
I think the most sensible thing, honestly, Janine, is to, if you were to look at like a, I'm trying to think of that person, it's the Liberty person that has like a, a scale in their hands. One oh, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything that's an immune system trigger, if it's toxins, if it's glyphosate, if it's stress, if it's um, too much time on the internet or, you know, blue light from your screens or too close to a Wi-Fi tower or did I mention stress and then there's stress <laughs> and there's some problems with certain foods and stuff and then there's stress. You know, so there's a lot of things that are on one side of the scale Mm -hmm. that are always triggering the adaptive immune system to upregulate the innate immune system to go and get the bad guys. So the question we always have to ask ourselves is, what am I taking off that side of the scales and what am I adding to the the good side? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the do's and the don'ts. Some of our some of the don'ts are just, you know, what we call ubiquitous or implicit in society. You know, if you're going to go through a drive through restaurant. And if you want to call that stuff food, you know, it's <laughs> optional. Uh, if, if you're if you're in a place in our society where that seems like a reasonable way to, to add nutrition to your body, and I'm not judging people if they believe that, <clears throat> I might disagree with them, but I mean, we're, we're still a free country, right? True. So if people are going to do that, I mean, that's what they're adding to the don't side. So right. you have to ask yourself, what did you do after that to, to add to the do side? Mm. Or what else are you going to take off of the don't side to balance the scales, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the, the scale on the right, if we can call that the do side, is you know enough water, enough actual nutrients, enough silence, enough sleep, enough connection. Mm-hmm. You know, th- things that the physiology needs based on millions of years of evolution to feel normal. Mm-hmm. So, the, so that's the balance for everybody, for you, for me, for the skunk that came through your door and now has <laughs> to put maybe too many eggs for its you know GI tract to be happy. <laughs> You know, you, you, here's kind of a fun thing, and I hope this is okay for your show, but if you want to have some karmic revenge thinking, you could just decide that that, that particular skunk has a leaky gut and the eggs are giving it diarrhea. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that kind of stuff can happen. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> right, but this, this is the game of, of, of life, is balancing the do's and don'ts. It's just when you have autoimmune dysfunction in the body – you have to get really, really good at the do's to just keep things normal, never mind uh, normal for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Now it's normal for you. Right. And, right. and that's the light like, like every day. What can I take off the don't pile and what can I add to the do pile to balance the scales or else it's going to be surgeries and drugs. And I don't mm-hmm. mean to say that to be unkind. I'm saying that as a patient. Mm-hmm. 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 No, I think that's a great way to look at it. I, I, can, I can easily uh, grasp onto that. Thank you. <laughs> so you mentioned leaky gut. How does the microbiome, um, the dysfunctional microbiome and leaky gut all contribute to this? So I would ask anyone that's listening who doesn't understand the term leaky gut to hold their hands up in front of them like they're trying to say stop. Okay. So right now I'm holding up both of my hands palm forward with my thumbs close to each other. Mm-hmm. So if I was to wrap my thumbs around each other in some hopefully non-uncomfortable way, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just realizing it's a little trickier than I thought when I started doing (laughs) this. So all your fingers are going to point up towards the sky. Mm -hmm. And they're basically what we call absorptive cells. And they're covered in what are called microvilli. And, and, you know, they have little uh, blood vessels in them that reach towards your liver to feed you, that uh, bring blood into the area to feed the cells themselves. There's lymphatic uh, drainage. But basically, these are little tiny miniature uh, microscopic cactuses Mm -hmm. that reach into your your food and break it apart in, in the most final way to absorb it into your body. 
Now, if there's enough inflammation, if there's enough toxicity, if there's enough uh, immune system distress uh, from either the inside of the tube or the outside of the tube, which is the rest of your body, what happens is the connection of your thumbs breaks down. And then, you know, if, if you're doing this still with your hands in the air, uh, your hands fall apart, leaving a space. So now what's supposed to fall into the space between your fingers can fall into the, fall into the space between your thumbs. Mm-hmm. And when that falls into the space into your thumbs, you're literally pooping into your blood. Wow. Right? So that means your, your poop full of bacteria, uh, also your, your undigested food proteins, which are the things that really trigger the most immune system response, are falling into your lymphatic system, your blood supply, and going through your liver, getting basically, um, you know, basically telling all of the memory B cells and that adaptive side of your immune system that it's a war and mm-hmm. it's time to fight back. Wow, that's scary. Yeah, that's scary. So when you're looking at the microbiome, you want to bring your attention back to the fact that the tube of your gut, um, you know, it runs from your mouth to your bum, as we can all imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, What's inside that tube is outside of your body. Okay. So that's a fun thing to say. So this this is my weird way of trying to help people picture that. Okay. (laughs) So let's say for whatever reason you're really bored and you decided to swallow a marble. Okay. I don't, I don't know if they still have marbles out there, but we were kids and there was nothing to do. I grew up in like without TV or radio, so there was often nothing to do. We would get a bag of marbles and spend a day figuring out what to do with little round glass balls. But anyway. Hopefully you weren't ingesting them. <laughs> well, once in a while, you know, kids just have to find out what's going to happen. So let's say you're one of those, you know, tough kids that swallows the marble. Okay. And then hopefully a couple of days later, you poop out the marble. Mm-hmm. What you want to be aware of is that at no point in time was that marble inside your vascular system, inside a certain part of your immune system, inside your lymphatic system. Okay. So it was technically outside of your body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because this is a crazy statistic, Jane, but 75% of your immune system all day, every day is at the front line of your gut, keeping what's inside that tube outside of your body. Wow. Okay. Because you got to keep that poop out of you. That's why leaky gut is so bad. Wow. Right? Mm-hmm. If we can agree that, okay, leaky gut's bad, what's inside the tube is outside of you because it leaks into you from outside of you. When we actually look inside of that tube, as you get farther and farther down, the number of bacteria per milliliter of fluid gets into the quadrillions. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's 16 zeros for people who are trying to go like, no, what? <laughs> <laughs> so are we talking bacteria in general or are we talking quote-unquote, bad bacteria versus good bacteria? Well, it's a a big community of bacteria, yeast, fungi, um, biofilms, uh, all kinds of weird babies and teenagers and old people and stuff in the sense of the the different forms Mm -hmm. these critters take on. So the ecology is really, really complicated. But when we're trying to understand how the microbiome affects your uh, gut in the sense of leaky gut, Here's a, and obviously I'm kind of into the funny ways to make this uh, sensible by imagery. So let's say that you and I are walking through the tube of your gut, and we're wearing spacesuits because it's in outer space, it's outside of the body. Mm-hmm. And it's also because we don't get this bug poo all over us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can wear a bathing suit if you want, I'm wearing a spacesuit. <laughs> anyway, so we're walking through all these skunks in, in the belly, <laughs> just, just to keep it topical. <laughs> And anytime we hit any of the, the bacteria with a stick, they sweat. Hmm. And what they sweat is called LPS or lipopolysaccharide. Okay. And that's a, a kind of acid-like evaporant thing, almost like a gas. 
And because of its chemical nature, it can go through the GI tract even if you don't have a leaky gut. Mm-hmm. And it can go through your liver faster than very than almost anything. It's, not, it's about as fast as ammonia. Wow. <clears throat> right? Mm-hmm. And then the, both of the ammonia and the LPS can go through your blood-brain barrier. Ooh. Right? So we naturally produce a bit of ammonia digesting protein. Okay. Right? So, mm-hmm. that, I mean, that, that's a normal thing. But along the same pathways, this LPS or lipopolysaccharide, and it's kind of like battery acid and burning tires and, I don't know, blah, really bad stuff. Mm. Once it goes, uh, once you start hitting the bacteria and the yeast over the head with the sticks, in the sense of your immune system is trying to get rid of them, you're taking in the wrong kind of probiotics. Obviously, if you've taken antibiotics, uh, what you're getting is bug sweat through your whole body, and it basically causes inflammation. It causes free radical reactive activities uh, because it's a basically a toxin and an evaporant, like a gas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it gets into the blood-brain barrier causing uh, brain fog, more inflammation, a lack of neurotransmitters, bad sleep, uh, potential migraines. Like, the, the, this stuff is just bad for everybody. So you can't leave the bugs in there. You have to get rid of them. But there's ways to get rid of them at a rate that's slow enough that the bug sweat doesn't cause you to get sicker. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you could tickle them, you could hit them with a stick, you could blow them up with the, the most powerful antibiotics we know. I like to think of them as just a bug sweat because it's less, you know, it's just more intense to think of them being blown up by grenades. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you, if you take antibiotics, let's call that the grenades. But no matter what you're doing, it's the rate at which the bug sweat and the bug elbows and the bug ears end up in your brain. Mm, okay. So instead of blowing them up, it's best to starve them out. And let them produce less babies over time because they're pretty smart about that. They don't want to produce babies if there's no food. Right. So over a few weeks, you could do a, a, a kind of restrictive way of eating that would make it less dangerous for you to go on a protocol to kill off the bugs or to balance out your microbiome. Mm-hmm. And that's a really tricky subject, honestly, right now because it's very hard to – to use lab testing to assess the true imbalance in the upper part of your microbiome where it really matters. Because when you, you take a, a sample of a person's feces, you're only going to get a sample of what's right up, up inside, like three inches inside their colon. Because okay. that's the mixture that you're getting at the end of the colon. Mm-hmm. So to presume we can know what's going up, you know, 10 feet up inside the small intestine where certain nutrients may be uh, being malabsorbed or eaten by critters or whatever, we're still in a situation where we can't really know exactly what that is yet. Got it. But we can, from common sense, uh, from a lot of people experimenting on themselves, mm-hmm. uh, we know what to feed it and what not to feed it. I assume what not to feed it, it has to do with carbohydrates and sugar. Uh, yeah, yeah, sugar, caffeine, alcohol. Caffeine isn't nearly as evil as alcohol would be because alcohol is an antibiotic. So if you were trying to solve a bacterial problem, a daily use of an antibiotic is not going to help you. <laughs> oh, I know. now uh, let's just pause for a moment there. I had never thought of alcohol as an antibiotic. Yep. So so this is the, the way I bring this into people's minds because we do a lot of time traveling. Mm-hmm. We just went on a tour of the gut. So. Mm-hmm. If we're in our bikinis and, and spacesuits, uh, we could fly off into the Middle Ages of Europe and realize that no one understands that poop causes your water to be bad. Right. So no one drinks water anymore. They drink mead or ale. Okay. Which is mildly alcoholic beverages, you know, that are uh, – they have enough alcohol to kill the bacteria in the water people are using to make their beer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because the water is full of poo because <laughs> mm-hmm. people weren't that smart back then. Right. 
you know, that's just an example of why alcohol was used medically to kill bacteria mm-hmm. and why it's an antibiotic. Interesting. Okay. So one of the, the most hotbed kind of high gossip environments for your microbiome is about four inches below your stomach. Okay. Because your stomach acid is also an antibiotic or an antibacterial agent. And as long as you have strong stomach acid, uh, as it comes out of your stomach, it's going to eradicate any bacteria trying to crawl up into your stomach. Got it. Now, this is a weird image, but if you have really weak stomach acid and the bacteria are finally winning, what they would really love to do is crawl up through your stomach, through your throat, through your mouth, get a little bit of a bungee cord out of your mouth onto your plate and start actually eating your food before you start to chew it up. <laughs> right, just, just for a sense of kind of what the action movie would look like. Mm-hmm. So as long as you have strong stomach acid to push those bacteria back down, you're not going to have nearly as many problems with your teeth or um, with bad breath or with all kinds of other things because your stomach acid is keeping the bacteria below that four-inch kind of limit. Got it. If you're using alcohol regularly, regularly, now you're putting something in there that's going to push the bacteria down even farther. Now, that might sound like a good thing, but uh, unfortunately, alcohol kills the fast-breeding and fast-feeding bacteria. So the ones that are a bit more complicated and a little bit, little bit smarter become the ones trying to fight through your stomach acid, which in the long term actually makes the equation worse for you. So that's why a lot of chronic alcoholics in the long term lose their teeth. Interesting. Uh-huh. Okay. Wow, I'm learning a lot here. Okay. Yeah. So lots is going on, mm-hmm. but uh, if you're going to try and fix your microbiome, caffeine, alcohol, sugar, are uh, high glycemic carbohydrates, low starch carb- carbohydrates, um, what are called acellular carbohydrates, they're all the bad guys. Mm-hmm. What are acellular carbohydrates? Uh, mostly grains and beans. Okay. And basically, acellular just means the ratio of fiber to carbohydrate is uh, not in the favor of humans. Okay. Okay. Although we love it because it's free food and free calories. <laughs> yes, and we're all addicted to it. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, we have evolved, though, to really crave sugar and flour and things that that can contribute to autoimmune. Oh, yeah, when we when we live seasonally and we could only get like those kind of foods, you know, <clears throat> at the perfect time of year to give us enough body weight to get through the the spring when there was nothing to eat. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why we're evolutionary evolutionarily and genetically driven to eat carbohydrates and get fat in the fall and have big feasts like Thanksgiving because up until like, you know, maybe 100 years ago before, you know, electricity and more complex ways of living you know, we all had to basically live like homesteaders. You know, maybe that was 300 years ago, depending on where, where you grew up or what city you lived in and things like that. But mm-hmm. th- this is all pretty new. And, you know, if you didn't have a good layer of, of fat on, on you during the winter, you'd freeze mm-hmm. all the time. And then in spring, when there was nothing to eat, you'd starve even more than you would starve normally. So that's why we have that adaptive strategy. It's just that we do it all year now, and it's clearly not working. And also, there was never a source of sugar in the past. So when we get a craving for a, a bowl full of, say, squash stew, we eat a chocolate bar instead, which is nuts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have recently, uh, when I'm craving chocolate, I eat a, a small bowl of frozen blueberries. Seems to work quite well. <laughs> That's an interesting strategy. Yeah. I think, it, don't think I've ever heard that before. <laughs> I just, because we, we have a lot of blueberries and I freeze a lot of them. 
because I, I love frozen blueberries and I when I get a craving for chocolate now especially at night I just I have some frozen blueberries instead and it just it and takes, you actually eat them frozen yeah yeah oh I love okay. them frozen and at my craving for chocolate goes away or sweets any kind of sweets that's really interesting. Yeah, and, and uh, I don't think this has ever come up in our conversations, but I have an Aboriginal background, and in our medicine tradition, blueberries are one of the top plants we use for addictive behavior. Wow, that puts things together, huh? Yep. I didn't know that. Yep. Wow. Okay, so um, let's see. Where should we go from here? So we end up with what uh, I, I've watched a couple of your videos with what you're calling a systemic overstress or exhaustion. Maybe you can delve into that a little more and then, you know, what do we do about all this? Well, what I, I think would be the easiest way to, to do that, and I've done this in, in the probably the last few interviews that I've done almost exclusively because it's, it's my new way of communicating this whole thing to people. Okay. Uh, we're just finishing up a little PDF for my website, mm -hmm. just so it's sort of graphically really nice for people. So uh, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but probably in two weeks. We're, 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 okay, so we're recording this in mid October on the first day cannabis is legal in Canada. <laughs> yes. Probably by the end of October, we'll have a, a PDF with all of this information uh, available on my website for people. Uh, you can say your website right now if you like. We'll also repeat it at the end, and I'll have it on the podcast website. Sure, uh, it's integrativehealthsolutions.ca. Uh, so integrative I V E because a lot of people hear integrated and then they end up ah. somewhere else. So, but the PDF will be uh, basically called the Ancestral Autoimmune Protocol, mm -hmm. and it's for patient support. It's about a thirty-page document. Oh wow that just runs people through what the autoimmune protocol is, what my version of it is and why it's a bit different. And most importantly, what I'm, what's in that document and what I would like to talk about today is called the autoimmune spectrum, which is something that has been kind of collectively mashed together uh, amongst all of the, the leading edge functional medicine, autoimmune, you know, people like myself and my mentors and my students who are all walking around scratching our head, trying to find a, a really clear way to give ourselves some confidence as to how to understand where patients patients are at with mm -hmm. respect to the whole autoimmune process mm -hmm. but also and probably more importantly obviously for patients is to give them an understanding of where they fit in how serious their situation is and exactly what to do about it okay sounds great michael okay so the autoimmune spectrum has five stages to it mm -hmm. Uh, stage one, we call erratic and reactive, and that's usually when your immune system just starts producing random weird allergies, swellings, mm -hmm. uh, rashes, uh, mood changes, and stuff like that. But it's not diagnosable in, in the sense that it's a chronic complex disease yet, and often this is what's still happening in children, mm -hmm. right? So if you're a person and as a kid you had a lot of really weird reactive erratic allergy-like you know, shenanigans going on, mm -hmm. We call that stage one because that's a predictor that later on, if things don't repair themselves, you'll end up in stage three, four, five. And uh, that's where the autoimmune process becomes pretty severe. So uh, stage one, we call erratic and reactive. Okay. Stage two, we call stubborn and tired. <laughs> and that's when basically your immune system is locked horns with something. It may look like an autoimmune condition or it may not. Right? Okay. At this point, it doesn't matter if it's classically autoimmune. What's really important is that your symptoms are becoming consistent mm. uh, in the sense of stubborn. Okay. General attempts to treat it in the sense of take this pill or you know stop eating wheat. Uh, 
aren't really doing as much as you had hoped. And the biggest kind of overall factor is I feel tired all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Okay. So that, that's, that's stage two. So stage one, your immune system is basically having an argument and it's just, you know, pissed off at everybody <laughs> stage two it's it's really it, it has its argument it has its talking points it's got a bit of a grudge and it's it's kind of getting burned out at the whole thing mm-hmm. okay stage three we call chronic conflict and damage because now your immune system has picked you know it's your elbow it's your colon it's it's you know your neurotransmitters so now it's a chronic conflict and it's actually damaging tissue or damaging physiological capacity not only uh irritating it because in stage two you know your immune system's in a it's like a arm wrestle like in the sense of being stubborn Mm -hmm. but no one's really winning the arm wrestle whereas in stage three when you start seeing that chronic conflict and you start to see damage you can kind of imagine that the immune system is in the autoimmune sense is starting to uh, win the arm wrestle mm-hmm. and in stage three you're definitely going to be diagnosed with a fixed name autoimmune disease mm-hmm. and you're probably going to be told by someone that you're going to require some kind of treatment or at least mitigating behavior in your lifestyle for the rest of your life Got it. so that sounds like a huge cha- change mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's it's honestly like going from childhood to puberty to adulthood you know, childhood, it's very erratic in the sense of what we like and how we sleep and how we think. Adolescence is essentially stubborn and tired. And then being an adult, you know, you're, you're kind of pretty certain about what you're, <clears throat> you know, what you're about and what matters to you and, and you know, what kind of fights you're going to pick and try and win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you get into stage four, this is what we call uh, stagnant, sore, and serious. Because now your body is becoming more congested, more swollen, more water retention, or potentially even more atrophied, where your body's just concentrating the use of proteins to fight off whatever infection it thinks it's it's dealing with. Another feature of stage four is most people are in chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes that pain is just nerve pain. Sometimes that pain is emotional pain. But about 85% of the time, the pain is what we would call rheumatic or due to a lot of inflammatory mediators and swelling and inflammation just moving back and forth throughout the body. And we call it stagnant sore and serious because now you're typically going to be in stage four diagnosed with at least two, if not three, distinct autoimmune diseases. And at least one of them is highly inflammatory and has to do with connective tissue, mm-hmm. which is, again, skin, guts, you know, uh, muscles, cartilage, bones, and things like that. Right. So stage five, you know, and, and this is the tough one. We call this uh, personal renewal or physical breakdown or just renewal or breakdown because we all know that people have recovered from things like pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. We all know people that have bounced back from really, really challenging things like MS. Mm-hmm. But the people who've bounced back from those things have gone through a profound personal, karmic, spiritual renewal. They're committed to their diet, their lifestyle, their exercise, their sleep, and their family in a way that they weren't before. And they're digging themselves out of the scariest pit in modern medicine, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that, mm-hmm. that's a, it's a possibility, but it's, it's, it's a complete revolution. Or if you're not up to, available to, or uh, willing to in whatever way change fundamentally the way you are in the world, you're going to experience inevitable gradual breakdown in the sense of morbid until, you know, it's fatal and you die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So those are those uh, five stages. There's a lot more to them. Uh, in in the sense of what we would give people in a book to read, mm-hmm. but but that that's sort of the main thing, you know. Again, real quick, stage one, it's erratic. Uh, you're having allergies. You're having weird infections. One thing I didn't bring up is 
a very common feature of stage one when it becomes a big warning sign is severe acne in in uh, in your adolescence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So that that's the thing. If you if you are a teenager right now and this all sounds like you, start getting really clear about what's going on with your health because you're showing all the predictors of something. It doesn't mean you're going to get the something. It just means you're showing all the predictors. Right? Stage two stubborn and tired you're going to start to feel a bit like someone else uh if you're exercising uh, it's going to take longer to recover if you have a stressful week it's going to take longer to recover if you get the flu it'll take longer to recover because your immune system is basically stubborn Mm -hmm. right it does want to change very quickly stage three you have a fixed name disease you've been told you require treatment uh probably forever you know your life is now becoming limited by your symptoms and by your energy levels and perhaps by your level of pain it sucks which sucks, but that's where most people bounce back and forth between stage two and three until they get locked into stage three. And if you buy into the belief that now you're uh, chronically ill for the rest of your life and you need to take pharmaceuticals, that may be true. But 85% of people I've worked with for over two decades completely can reverse all of that stuff if they're committed. Mm-hmm. Stage four, I mean, it's it's that you know kind of damage and, and uh, things are getting pretty serious. But it's really about the fact that it's gotten chronic, more complicated, more reactive, more inflammatory. And it's going to include some kind of destruction to a connective tissue in your body. And that could even include your thyroid gland. Mm-hmm. Stage five, again, it's degenerative, there's atrophy, there's derangement of things, you know, say like Parkinson's and the sense of your neurological matrix and makeup. Mm-hmm. You're probably dependent on medication uh, in a pretty severe way in stage five. You might be dependent on actual nursing assistance in stage five. And everyone's looking at you with that sad puppy face of, man, looks like it's going really bad for you, Fred or Sally. We're going to try and make you as comfortable as we can for the next 10 years as your body breaks down. And again, this is more 50-50 or I don't actually have numbers for this, but I wouldn't be arrogant to, enough to say 85%, mm-hmm. but I would say maybe 50-50, you could pull yourself out of this if you have a personal profound rearrangement of your whole belief system around what's possible uh, within you and within your body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the next thing I would usually do with people quickly is just tell people what I would do. Okay. If you're in stage one, two, three, or four, if you came to see me in the clinic, so you just save yourself 300 bucks and you can, you know, if you're a clinician, rip off my good ideas and go and go and start <laughs> a, a clinic somewhere. <laughs> uh, this is actually pretty standard and stuff uh, with the people I work with, mm-hmm. but uh, we're, we're kind of coaching the rest of the medical community right now on, on how all this stuff works. So it is still pretty new in the world. So I'm, I'm kind of happy to share this with people because it, it's becoming the way this is kind of handled. Thank you, Michael. So if you're going to be listening to this, either sit back, close your eyes, and just let it kind of wash over you as, as an idea because it's recorded and you can always go up to Janine's uh, you know, podcast site and, and listen to it again later. Mm-hmm. Or if you're feeling pretty perky and, and uh, you know, full of the, the, the mojo that solves problems, get a pen and paper. And think about what stage it feels like you're in or if you have a close friend or a patient or a family member who's got autoimmunity and you have a sense of where they fit into that spectrum, keep a pen and paper handy because I'll walk through what I would uh, suggest in, in that situation. Great. So take notes. Okay. Take notes. Uh, or, or or chill out and, and enjoy your hammock and uh, listen to it again later. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So if you're in stage one, what you need to do is fundamentally reset the mental, emotional status of your immune system. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that is with a three-day fast. 
Now, you know, obviously if you're in stage one, you're not chronically ill, so you don't need to worry too much about a three-day fast. But if you are uncertain, you've never done any fasting before, talk to a doctor or a clinician who knows you a little bit who can tell you whether or not a three-day fast would be a good idea. Mm -hmm. Now, a fast for you, because I know there are different ways of fasting. Are you just drinking water? Are you able to have herbal teas? Are you able to have juice or what? I, I think uh, water or bone broth, um, mm -hmm. herbal tea, vegetable stock, uh, things like that. But you just don't want to ingest anything that has a lot of calories in it because you want your immune system to not be dealing with the mess of digestion. You want it to basically get bored. Because mm -hmm. if, if it gets bored, it can basically downregulate to a status that's non-confrontational. That takes about three days. Okay. Great. Same way it takes three days for a virus to turn into an actual flu symptom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? It's, it's your body's kind of like, are we going to do this or not? <laughs> right. So if you, if you get your immune system bored for a few days, it's like not. Okay. So for stage one, besides a fast, you're going to want to get pretty strict about your diet for about 28 days. Okay. Right? Because most, most of the things in, in that stage aren't that deeply entrenched yet. Okay. So four weeks. Yeah, four weeks on what I would call an AIP or the Ancestral Autoimmune Protocol. Uh, there's variations to it uh, if you get into what I call an Ancestral Autoimmune Protocol, which is kind of my thing. Mm -hmm. But we can come back to that if you want to. Okay, great. But basically, you just want to go on a restrictive elimination diet. And then after 28 days, start reintroducing the most uh, likely foods to be irritating your immune system. Mm -hmm. I would encourage anyone in stage one to remind yourself, tick, tick, tick. Stage two might be coming around the corner. Don't be passive aggressive and wait. Mm -hmm. uh, especially given modern statistics right now, every decade it's getting worse for us. So mm -hmm. my advice is get a health app, something that's uh, a self-quantification device or, or something even on your phone. You just tap in, my sleep was good, my diet was good, my stress was bad or, or whatever you do. Mm -hmm. And so start getting curious about your health, like how it works, because you're going to need to be, uh, unless you're really lucky, you're going to need to be aware in the next 10 to 15 years uh, of what your body's telling you in case you start to slip into stage two. Mm -hmm. Now, Michael, are there any particular health apps that you like? Uh, I don't wear jewelry, so I can't play with all the ones that you wear. <laughs> <laughs> Although that would be, I think, my, mer my, my first recommendation is the stuff that wears like a watch or a ring. Oh, okay. The ones you can turn off at night so you're not sleeping in a Wi-Fi bath. Yep. Uh, they make the most sense. Mm-hmm. There's questionnaires you can take. There's going to see a clinician if you don't want to get a health app and just talking to them about how you're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that's more of a symbolic recommendation is I want you to become more familiar with, aware of, and communicative with someone about your symptoms. Because if they're going to start progressing, you don't want to ignore that and keep thinking it's just a weird allergy. Mm -hmm. okay. Unless it's just a weird allergy, then you can give everyone a high five and, and you know... <laughs> Give people like me the finger who keep telling you, you might get sicker, man. <laughs> but there, there are warning signs, and, and I think we should all be aware of that. Yes. So stage two, now you're committed to eight weeks, right? This is where your immune system is stubborn and tired, so you have to be a bit more stubborn mm -hmm. and, and, and a bit more uh, patient. So you can either fast one day a week okay. uh, during those eight weeks, or you can do what's called a 16-8 uh, split which is a kind of intermittent fasting where you only eat for eight hours of the day. So you'd have like, say, maybe something at 11 or 12 for lunch and something at, you know, five, six, seven for, for supper. But the idea is to not eat 
uh, for the rest of the 24-hour cycle. Again, just giving your immune system and, and your body a bit more of an ancestral boost because not that long ago, humans might have eaten once or twice a day, not three times a day, every day, all year. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're saying you could pick an eight-hour period of time uh, wh yep. whenever you want. Um, that That's when you eat and you don't eat for the rest of the, the 24 hours. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of different what we call uh, intermittent fasting splits. So just depending on the timing, some people again they only eat one meal a day. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on what you're willing, willing to try. Okay. But again, we're just trying to give your immune system the inflammatory triggers in your body as as much of a break as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, within the ancestral version of the autoimmune protocol. Uh, which is my thing. There's fundamentally four diets, what I call an ice age diet, a scavenger diet, a tribal paleo diet, and a homesteader diet. <laughs> so if you're going to do the eight-week stage two version, you'd want to be on what's called a tribal paleo diet for two months. Okay. And that just basically means lots of meat, lots of veg, lots and lots and lots of fat. And you're allowed to have some nuts and seeds if they're soaked, and you're allowed to have some pseudo grains if they're fermented. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that'd be like buckwheat or quinoa, but you want to ferment them in whey or or in some other way, uh, so that you're getting the, the least amount of the anti nutrients in those foods. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you do if you're a vegetarian? You fundamentally learn to eat a lot of sprouts to soak very very thoroughly nuts and seeds to get really 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 uh, clear on good protein sources and good fat sources that obviously aren't from animals. Mm -hmm. If you're vegetarian, you can get away with some eggs, but with uh, usually with the AIP process, you're trying to avoid eggs and dairy and, and those kind of things just because they might have triggers. Mm -hmm. So for that eight week, if you're a vegetarian or vegan, it's going to be tricky. If you're vegetarian, I'd say have eggs once a week just to make the protein thing not as much of an issue. But always keep your yolk soft. Mm -hmm. But um, for vegans, you're, you're going to want to do some really good research on that because... When it comes to ancestral protocols, it's based on human ancestry, and there's no indigenous vegans in the world. So veganism is a, what we call a modern evolutionary experiment. Okay. Uh, from a from a clinical scientific point of view, I totally get the ethics. And, and if, if, I had, if I had different genetics, I'd probably be a vegan myself. But given my ancestry, that just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And I tried it, so I know it doesn't work. I'm not just being, I don't know. Stubborn. Mm -hmm. Well, I've noticed that some vegans appear to be very healthy and others look really unhealthy. In 22 years of medical practice, I've met two vegans who had done it for more than 10 years who actually really, really look young, fit, and healthy. Mm -hmm. So uh, it is possible, but I think it's a really – I think we all have to find the humility that it's a bit of a roulette wheel of do you have the right genetics, do you have the right stress adaptations, and is this diet going to work for you, again, on a genetic level? Mm-hmm. Because there's no other way to find out, and there's no other truth to, to bear. I mean, you could have the you could have the mindset of Gandhi and be a saint and want to save the world. And if your genes, say like mine, aren't really up for that kind of a dance, you'll just make yourself sicker. And if you're a really good-hearted person, you're a karmically really, really wise person. Please don't kill yourself for an idea. Stick around and help the rest of us grow up. <laughs> Excellent point. So stage three. Uh, it's going to be four months or 120 days. And again, stage three is when you're dealing with fixed name autoimmunity. Uh, all of the, the tricky chemistry in the background around the bounty hunter cells and, and the serial numbers and the cops and the guns and the, 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 the trickier side of your particular, you know, uh, inner city neighborhood that's going on. And it's been going on probably for months, mm -hmm. if not years. 
So what we're trying to repair is a little bit deeper and takes more time. Mm -hmm. So again, we'd be encouraging people for that 120 days to do intermittent fasting. But after a couple of weeks, you want to do uh, what's called a 16 by 8 split uh, six days a week. So again, you're trying to eat within eight hours or if you can tighten it up to six hours. You're getting all of that fasting benefit, but one day a week you want to have a big breakfast or brunch. Hmm, what's that about? Because you don't want to put your, your metabolism into any kind of catabolic state where it might be risking using up your proteins for energy if you miss a meal or you don't eat enough in a period of time. Because when you're doing intermittent fasting, you're not trying to limit calories. In fact, you're trying to make sure you're getting probably enough, if not more than enough calories in those two meals a day. Okay. Right, mm -hmm. but that there's there's other metabolic switches that have to do with uh, fasting and, and famine-like metabolisms compared to foraging or feasting metabolisms. So by having one day a week when you can feast up, you're you're resetting a, a sweat that keeps you out of uh, a hard kind of ketosis that you know has some clinical benefits, but can also be a bit stressful. So because we're trying to keep all the stress modifications of the immune system to a minimum, one day a week you want to feast up on really healthy ancestral AIP foods. So in the four-month version, we do a progressive cycle, which means you either start at the homesteader diet, work your way back to the tribal paleo diet, then work your way back to the scavenger paleo diet, then work your way back to the autoimmune or, pardon me, the anti-inflammatory or ice age diet. Mm -hmm. Now, very quickly, I name these diets the way I do based on my indigenous ancestors' oral tradition of history. It's not about science or anthropology. It's actually meant to be a bit cute and to make fun of the whole paleo thing being a literal <laughs> truth. It's just my sense of humor. And honestly, Native people are really funny about this stuff. So if I can make an indigenous joke about people ripping off what they believe to be indigenous histories to make up diet books to sell them, I'm allowed to make a joke. <laughs> yes, you are. <clears throat> so that that's the way I named these, and it was meant to be more for fun than anything. Okay. Because that's just how indigenous people roll. If you can make a joke, make a joke. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about a progressive AIP, if you're in really serious trouble, you want to start with the anti-inflammatory diet or the Ice Age diet for about a week. Mm -hmm. and, and that's really restrictive. Like it's basically raw fish or ceviche and avocados and greens. Mm -hmm. Right? But it's kind of like a fast that's profoundly anti-inflammatory. Okay. Interesting. And then you move up, if you're, again, really sick, you move up to what we would call the nutrient-dense or the scavenger paleo diet, which is relatively ketogenic because it's high-fat, high-connective tissue, high-nutrient-dense plants, and high-fiber, the way you would have eaten as a foraging hunter-gatherer. Mm -hmm. And then you would move up to what I call the tribal paleo diet, which in includes nuts and seeds and some pseudograins because as tribal migratory people going back and forth through your, your, your migratory territory, you would have eventually learned to eat more complicated foods and you know where to source them and, and stuff like that. So, so that, that's sort of the dietary protocol there. And then you would afterwards go to the healthy homesteader diet, which allows you a bit of, say, goat milk and, and cheese and yogurt. And if you're pretty certain you don't have a problem with cows, maybe some cow yogurt and cheese, preferably full fat and organic, mm -hmm. and maybe some uh, white rice and some oats. Now, why white rice as opposed to brown rice? There's a reason why no one in Asia eats brown rice, and it's because they figured it out a thousand years ago that it's so full of anti-nutrients, it's not worth eating because they eat it three times a day. Right. If you're a typical Western hippie, and I mean that with affection, I'm not trying to be a jerk, <laughs> um, you know, you probably eat brown rice twice a week. 
Mm-hmm. You know, 5,000 years ago in Asia, when they were farming rice the way that they were, you'd be eating brown rice at every meal. Mm-hmm. And brown rice being a whole grain contains anti-nutrients. So when you eat anti-nutrients three times a day, they're going to bite you in the butt, the stomach, and the brain. <clears throat> and that's why people are getting away from grains and beans because they all contain self-protective anti-nutrients. So white rice has that problem removed, which is why half of the planet only eats white rice now. Interesting. Yeah, I kind of pick on the hippies who think brown rice is healthier for them while they practice their yoga, their qigong, and their kung fu and tantra. Well, I have to say I thought it was healthier. Yeah, we all do. But, I mean, the the point I'm trying to make is that if we're going to be conscious of the fact we're borrowing 5,000-year-old shamanic healing traditions from two different parts of Asia, we might have the respect to listen to them about something as simple as a daily staple, mm-hmm. like rice. Got it. I thought you were getting more nutrients with brown rice. You are for sure. You're also getting more anti-nutrients. Mm. So, oops. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the trade-off, the trade-off isn't worth it. No, saying. I mean that there's there's a reason why since the kind of whole grain hippie idea in the 60s took over health food mm-hmm. there's a reason why autoimmune disease went for a huge spike it's because we started eating whole grains and beans as if they were good for us instead of recognizing that back in the 50s all of our grandmas who were still in the kitchen cooking food would have soaked them overnight would have soaked them in salt and vinegar would have prepared them in some way would have hulled them would have fermented them sourdough all the things that grandmas used to do in the 60s we threw it all into the back seat with the belief that our parents were assholes <laughs> and we wanted to change society. And I mean, I'm glad we did, but I'm sad that we threw all that grandma food wisdom into the backseat too, because that's, that's the stuff that, you know, would have kept us uh, protected from the last 60 years of really bad ideas, mm-hmm. which is why the, the ancestral approach is such a big thing, because we're all realizing that we completely screwed this up by making up a bunch of crazy new age ideas that weren't scientifically credible. Got it. Because, I mean, you look at a brown rice with a microscope, yeah, there's more protein, there's more B vitamins. But if you keep looking, there's a whole bunch of other things that could actually cause cancer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is why in Asia, they feed the brown part to the pig and eat the pig. Because <laughs> pigs don't get stomach cancer. Oh, interesting. Anyway, so stage three, you want to be on those diets. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's you know the, the real big question a lot of people have is white rice, what? Mm-hmm. But if you are going to be eating more white, uh, rice and oats, preferably, again, fermented into a batter or something, mm-hmm. you're going to need to eat more fermented food. Got it. So I'm going to try and be real quick here. You could also do the AIP, uh, the ancestral AIP the other way, where if you're not feeling too sick and you really don't like food restrictions, you could start with a homesteader diet, limiting most of the modern stuff. And see if you start to get better. And if you do, stay there. If you don't, go to that more tribal paleo diet where you can eat a nutrient-dense diet but still have a little bit of teff or quinoa or or buckwheat or something like that. Mm -hmm. And if that's not working, then you would go back to that keto, super nutrient-dense scavenger paleo diet and live on, you know, oxtails and bone broth and uh, livers and kidneys and you know, roast meats with lots of connective tissue in in the bones. I mean, chicken wings are great if you eat chicken because there's more cartilage to gnaw on. Because mm-hmm. in, in that, that diet, you're trying to get maximum nutrient density, especially for connective tissue. And if that doesn't work, then you would go backwards to that Ice Age anti-inflammatory diet because your immune system hasn't got a chance to calm down with everything else you've tried. And that's something that I, I have to kind of figure out in my clinic because most people who come to see me are already in stage four. So if we're trying to figure out where to kind of tilt them in, in as they get towards stage three, it's, it's 
more often than, than not, my recommendation to just start with the anti-inflammatory Ice Age diet and work your way forward in time in the sense of how we organize these, these ideas. Uh, just because you're going to get younger and feel fitter and, and, and have more virility and, and uh, energy in the gym if you work out just by going in that order. But I totally respect that people like to go the other way because they don't want to give up on pancakes and stuff. <laughs> if you're in stage three, you need to start doing a yearly cleanse. Mm-hmm. Now, I have the cleanse that I do twice a year. So if you're looking for some support and you're not sure what else to do, get a hold of me. Otherwise, you just want to spend a couple of months every year getting really deep on detoxing your body. Meaning the diet approach that we're talking about is a good start, but that's focused on your immune system. If you want to focus on detox, that's a bit more tricky. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you're in stage three, you should be on daily supplements to modulate your immune system. Mm-hmm. If you're in stage three, you should be if not already familiar with a team of helpers, you should be filling your phone full of phone numbers of people you can have as your go-to hired health team, mm-hmm. nutritionists, uh, no, aromatherapists, naturopaths, acupuncturists, shamans, counselors, I don't know, psychics. I don't really care. If you've got a group of people that you feel you can rely on to help you guide you through this process, then you're that much more confident and you're uh, that much less stressed out. And it sounds like you would be much more likely to be successful. Yeah, because humans are tribal and we need accountability and we, we need affirmation and we're all crack addict monkeys who like to get away with stuff. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> but, you know, if, if I'm three months into a four-month protocol and I'm feeling really good, I'll probably start thinking about, you know, <laughs> that might be nice. Yeah. Right. So, uh, again, that's why we organize the dietary protocols the way they, we, we do so that people can decompress into still healthier diets without going off the rails. Mm-hmm. Got it. So we're getting kind of late in the day here. So I'm going to keep going real quick. Okay. Stage four is usually two years. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to let that echo around the Internet for a second. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're going to have to be picky about everything. Food, stress, sleep, water, relationship, work life balance whether or not even working out hard is a good idea ever again or anymore like you're you're in the reboot for two years because you have probably three autoimmune diseases that if you don't get better they're eventually going to turn into stage five Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you do not want to mess around with this at all Uh, i've been in this situation twice in my life uh, it's terrifying when your body starts for literally just tearing itself apart in front of you, growing new weird bumps and lumps and, you know, feeling that weak and that much pain. It's like, that's, I can, I can see how people completely would eventually give up and just take all the pharmaceuticals and, and, and just sort of give into all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you're completely focused and you want to either avoid the pharmaceuticals or get off of them, this would be the way to do it. And this is what we call a, sen- a seasonal ancestral, uh, AIP approach which is basically going through that cycle of those four diets. It's just you cycle through those four diets relative to the seasons. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. And, and then that's two years. So you're, you're getting the, the seasonal diet, nutrient-dense uh, effect as well. And honestly, that could be a podcast in itself in the, in the sense of how tweaked into seasonal eating humans are actually, uh, how we still are and how much benefit we can still gain by eating a seasonal diet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a good idea. In stage four, remember, you're really, really bleeping sick, so you want to get regular lab work to see what's getting better, what's not, and if anything is getting worse, why. Mm -hmm. 
Because this is life or death. Two, right. two years, stage four. If you can bounce out of that, get back into stage three, back into stage two, you could very likely live the rest of your life kind of in and out of stage two and be very, very happy that you figured all this stuff out. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if you wait, if you piss around, if, if you don't really get into the, the deeper personal side of this, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get harder. So the next thing I talk to people about is getting into a paradigm of self-quantification uh, or, or self-awareness and mm-hmm. self-reflection that really makes sure you're, you're kind of head-to-toe aware of your health. I use something called the health sailboat, mm-hmm. um, which we could do, but that would also be a, an, a, its own podcast because it's a lot of ways to reflect on different structures in your body and different attitudes that you have in life and basically how you steer through the world mm-hmm. as if you're driving a sailboat. Oh, that sounds fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. It even gets into how ketosis works. Mm-hmm. Cool. So lab work's important. Get your sailboat together in the sense that you really are aware of your awareness and how powerful that is. And this is the hardest thing to talk to people about, but you are, yes, you are going to become one of those people who at a potluck or at Thanksgiving or at a Christmas party is the weirdo who can't do this, that, or the other thing and has to probably bring your own thermos full of stew and your own, you know, pot of tea and mm-hmm. and whatever because things are pretty restrictive. You're the weirdo. Well, that or you're the canary in the mine shaft that might save a lot of other canaries from the mine shaft mm. by being really, really proactive, saying, look, man. Yeah, I've done the research. I know that this is going to work for me, you know, in the sense of an 85% chance. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't you take that opportunity? Yeah. yeah. Right. But that's, that's the hardest thing for people within a marriage, within a family, if you're dating a new person, you know, all of the different things that complicate our, our social lives. If you're the person who can't have the, the croutons on your salad, you know, everyone's rolling their eyes because here's the mm-hmm. gluten free. Yep. Right. Yep. But you have to find a way to have that conversation with people so that they're not undermining your deeply invested personal effort to save your life. Oh, that's an excellent point. It really is. And stage four, the next thing is you're going to have to balance out the meditation, exercise, and sleep ratios in the direction of meditation, yoga, qigong, and things like that. Because now it's time to become a shaman. It's not time to become perky, have a a tight butt and six-pack abs. Mm -hmm. It's time to focus on hibernation, meditation, and just enough exercise to keep your body mobile and and fit. You do not want to start some new kind of fitness craze in a two-year cycle of dealing with complex autoimmune disease because you'll just get worse. Right, right. Very quick story. I had a Crohn's disease patient. He was also a weightlifter. His family owned a gym. He wanted to get back into shape after losing like 30 pounds of muscle because his Crohn's disease got worse. I said, wait six months. He waited two. I got a phone from a phone call from his family two months later. He was in the ICU oh. in Calgary because he had lost most of his skin because his body had realized he wanted to build muscles more than have skin. And in Crohn's disease, you can get a, a weird lesion in your skin that could actually eat up most of your body skin if you become severely catabolic. And he was so determined to have muscles that oh. he almost lost his entire skin. Oh my God. Wow. He's okay now because of the profound gift we have with the drugs that we have in the hospitals. Thank you, the universe for you know, giving us those drugs to save lives. But it took him two years to recover from that because he was being a young punk. Mm, mm-hmm. Even if you're 60, don't be a punk. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's a good warning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so stage five, it's lifelong. I mean, it's so hard to talk about stage five not being in person with a person who's dying because that's the conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you are in stage five, it is fatal or potentially fatal in the long term you want to be on what's called a seasonal ketogenic AIP, 
which is basically the seasonal diet, but more tilting you towards ketosis to put your body in the deepest repair cycles as possible. You Again, that's seasonal, so you'll be going in and out of ketosis throughout the year, but mm-hmm. this is lifelong, and hopefully this is going to be many seasons of many years. And you're going to need lots of support, so don't be stubborn, don't isolate yourself, go to meetings, go to groups, get on a forum online, you might learn some hack from somebody in Tasmania <laughs> on, on whether or not uh, using sea buckthorn is the perfect thing for your particular condition. Mm-hmm. So get engaged. The The hardest conversation that I have with people, and since you know you and I are talking about talking about talking about something... <laughs> One one of the hardest things that, that I, I spend time with in, with people in this situation is to talk about karma. Mm-hmm. And if you're not familiar with what that word actually means, I do have a podcast on my show. Um, maybe you could look it up, Janine, and put it in the show notes for Great. people. I will. It's, 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 it's on karma. It's about an hour and a half, and it's got – it's probably the weirdest conversation I've ever had because – in the West, we completely misuse the idea of karma. Mm-hmm. So if, if you really want to figure that out, listen to that show. It's, it's really quite funny and weird. Mm-hmm. And it might give you some insights on where, where you're stuck on, on the insides a bit. So the thing I bring up with people about karma is if you're in a situation where your medical diagnosis is potentially morbid or fatal, mm-hmm. and the, the metaphor we use for this particular situation is complete renewal or complete breakdown. Okay. Karma is where you want to start. Hmm. What have people done to you in your life that you're still grieving or feel burdened by or feel angry about? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Work that bleep out. Yes. Yes. Right? This is the harder one. Go through your entire life and recognize all of the stuff you've done to other people. Sounds like something to work that stuff out. To write down. Yeah, go go. I mean, there's a shamanic practice of recapitulation where you actually start today and work your way backwards with your grievances that everyone else has done to you until the day you're born, or even if you were yanked out of your mom's uterus with some forceps, you can be grumpy about the doctor who did that. (laughs) If your mom smoked during you know your pregnancy, you can be grumpy at your mom about that. Mm -hmm. But it's to go back and look at all the things you still have a grudge about. And then you start from before you're born and you start looking at the impact you've had on everyone in your life. And you write it down from the moment you're born to even from before you're born. You know, your mom had gestational diabetes because for whatever reason you had your immune system triggered her immune system to go sideways or whatever. Mm-hmm. So this is the idea with karma is to just get really authentically honest about, you know, it's it's time to forgive. It's it's time to, to become in, intimately aware of all these consequences mm-hmm. and and, and whether or not they're still affecting your health and your stress. And the best way to go into that would be into somatic trauma work. You know, and that's where Qigong and yoga and shamanism really shine because they're, they're meant to go into a transformative place within ourselves to find something new and deeper, not to run with the status quo. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in nice. stage five, if, any, if anybody needs a complete reset of who they are and what the world really is and what it's really about and what life really means – it's people in stage five. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, I noticed you didn't um, suggest Tai Chi. Uh, well, I think of chi- Qigong and yoga as, as basically Tai Chi. And in fact, it's funny, Janina, I'm filming uh, a video today in my studio on freeform Tai Chi. So you can learn the essentials of Tai Chi without learning any choreography. Because that's a big block for people is I don't want to learn 24 or 36 or 108 moves. I just want to you know, dance in the, the air real slow and sneak up on trees. Oh, cool. I will definitely watch that. It's it's one of the most incredible things you can do. I try and do a little bit every day. Mm-hmm. 
Cool. I look forward to that. But some sometimes, you know, when I work with people, it's just like forget the choreography. We're just going to work on some very basic principles, so you can have a moving meditation that's mildly shamanic in its its uh, its intention that you can actually just play with or pray with, with without having to do it right or wrong. My ears are perking up. I will look forward to that. Yeah. So that that's coming out pretty soon. Cool. Awesome. Wow. So that was a real roller coaster and a bit of an encyclopedia for people, but maybe it's less entertaining than most podcasts are. But hopefully that gives people a really working, like, work how-to list. And I have the best statistics in my profession. So that this is working as well as it can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I appreciate your humor. I appreciate your metaphors. I appreciate your knowledge, your expertise, the way you present the material. It's awesome and... I cannot imagine that there isn't one person who will not benefit from this. So thank you. That's, that, that's the plan. You're very welcome. And uh, I hope this helps people. Oh, I really do. Oh, I, I, I do too. Thank you so much, Dr. Michael Smith. It's really, really been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the opportunity. Oh, you're very welcome. Take care. Thank you for listening, and thank you so much, Dr. Michael Smith, for taking the time to share your knowledge and expertise with us. I always learn something useful from you. The podcast website is realjanine.com, where you can listen and download episodes. You can sign up for the podcast bi-weekly blog newsletter. That way you can keep up on new episodes. There'll be archives. I do life updates of my musings. And there's always a healthy recipe. And remember, Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. And I will not spam you. It only comes out once every two weeks. To subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine, go to iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. I now have a Keeping It Real with Janine YouTube channel and I'm creating video slideshows of all my conversations. So please go to YouTube and subscribe. I'd really appreciate it. Do you know someone who would benefit from my conversation with Dr. Smith? I know you must have several people who you know would benefit. So please share the love. Thanks for listening. Take care and be well.